Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Wednesday, February 21st slate of college basketball at the FS. Now, this is shaping up to be, the slate hasn't even started yet, and I think this is a very, very interesting slate. There is a lot of games with super high totals. There are a lot of three and 4K value plays that are going to play a ton of minutes. And so I think that this slate just has a plethora of options for building your lineups. That's right. I use the word plethora. Um, and it's just going to be an interesting one in terms of how you can build, who you pair with who, and I'm really interested to see how this one plays out. So before we start breaking down the slate, um, I do want to go ahead and get this out there. If you are new to the channel, welcome. Glad to have you. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you can be with us for the rest of college basketball season, and you can subscribe to audio if you're listening on uh, Spotify or Apple as well. And I usually don't like asking for this before like you know anything has happened, but um, if you like what you've seen here so far on Mike's Money Picks, hit the like button. And if you're listening on audio, rate and review. It really does help me out a ton, and I really do appreciate it. And um, I mean, the stats bear it out that I get more likes on videos when I ask for it at the start. And uh, like I said, it really does help me out a ton. So um, if you like what you've seen here, please hit the like button and I really do appreciate it. So um, let's go ahead now and we're going to dive into this 12 game slate. We're going to break it down game by game and tell you how we expect each game to play out and how you can target it for DFS purposes. So let's go ahead and end the intro there and start diving in. Right, so the first game of the night is going to be a battle in the Big Ten between Illinois and Penn State. And I got to be honest, y'all, usually I'm not super in like intrigued by these 6.30 starts. Like I feel like the slate could just start at 7 and I'd be totally okay with it. But this is a 6.30 game that I'm really looking forward to playing some guys from. Um, Ken Palm has this game projected to be 84 to 76 in favor of Illinois. That is a 160-point total. That'd be enough to be the highest on most slates, but it's actually not on this slate, but it is in the top third. Um, so these are two teams that really like to get up and down and really like to score the basketball. Illinois has scored um, 80 points in six straight games, and both these teams rank top 75 in tempo, so I just see no reason for the offense to slow down. I think Illinois is going to put up points in bunches. And the good news is with Illinois, we kind of know where the points are going to come from. A lot of them are going to come from Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, he has a 30% usage rate or higher in three straight games. He's put up 27 or more real points in three straight games, and he's taken at least 15 shots in three straight games. So the usage has just been absolutely incredible, and he's been between 39 and 43 fancy points in those games, which is almost 5x value for his current salary. Um, and on paper, this is a better matchup against a Penn State team that's going to play at a much faster tempo than Maryland and Michigan State. Um, and I just think that the, the ceiling is the roof, as MJ would say, with Terrence Shannon Jr. I think he is an outstanding play and at $8,300. I think you can make an argument that he's a value and he's one of my favorite studs on the slate. Now, the center position has been a way that you can target against Penn State all season long, or at least in conference play. And Coleman Hawkins is the starting center for Illinois. Now, I did mention the usage rate for Terrence Shannon Jr., but like, there's no need to talk about usage when it comes to Coleman Hawkins because a lot of his fancy scoring doesn't come from sheer volume of shots or anything like that. He does it from the peripheral stats. And he has been pretty good lately for Illinois, pretty good all season long, honestly. In conference play, he has had five games of 38 fancy points or higher. So we know that he has a legitimate ceiling and, and can get to it in this game against Penn State. Marcus Damask taken a little bit of a backseat since Terrence Shannon Jr. came back from his suspension. However, he will have the occasional ceiling game. Um, 
there's no real rhyme or reason for it, but um, you know, I think it's encouraging that this guy is a guy that you know is pretty much a lot to get double-digit shots, a lot to play 35 plus minutes. And so if you're looking to fade Terrence Shannon Jr., or maybe you just want to like be a little bit different. I think Damascus is certainly gonna be lower owned than Shannon and has like equal ceiling as Shannon, just just not exactly been as consistent since Shannon has returned to the lineup. Now, another interesting development for this Illinois team that I will mention is Luke Goody. Um, his playing less and less minutes because teams are starting to target him defensively. They found out that he's not a good defensive player and they're just trying to kind of attack him. Like Maryland just kept trying to screen with Goody's man and get him to switch on Jameer Young or Julian Reese and it just really wasn't working for Illinois having him do that. So um, you're seeing him play less and less minutes and that's leading to more and more minutes for defensive specialist Ty Rogers. Um, he's not a super high usage offensive player, but if he's going to be out there for a ton of minutes, he's going to be an option at $5,800 and he gets dual eligibility. Quincy Garrier is a guy that I have liked all season long, but since Terrence Shannon Jr. came back in the lineup, he just hasn't seen the shot attempts, hasn't even seen the minutes, if we're being honest. Um, and so at $5,400, I don't think I can get there on him. I think there's other plays in the 5K range that are a little bit better. Now on the Penn State side, the big news here is that Kanye Clary, who is one of the team's best players, is out for the season. Well, not for an injury, but you know, he has left the program. Um, and it's just super weird because like he was out for injury for a while and then he came back and he wasn't starting, wasn't really all that successful. And now he has left the program. I don't know what went down. It's a super strange situation, but what I think you have to do is you have to look at Penn State splits without Clary in the lineup. And I'm not even talking about the three games where he was back coming off the bench. I'm talking about the two games that he missed. And in those two games that he missed, Ace Baldwin Jr. really turned it up, scoring 40 and 40 nine fantasy points in the two games that um, Kanye Clary missed against Rutgers and Indiana. And so if we're going to see the same type of player that we saw those two games here again against Illinois, you got to really like Ace Baldwin Jr. to salary of only $8,100. That's pretty much 5X in both games that Clary previously missed. Interestingly enough, Zach Hicks had two really successful games when uh, Kanye Clary was out also. Um, Put up 17 against Rutgers, put up 30.75 against Indiana, and then the next game later against Iowa put up 31 when Clary barely played. So I really think that there's a good sign for him that his usage definitely increased when Clary saw less minutes. And at $5,800, he's another unique way to get to this game because I think everybody that is playing somebody on Penn State is going to get up to Ace Baldwin Jr. or they're going to go all the way down to Damian Dunn. Um, Damian, or I'm sorry, not Damian Dunn, DeMarco Dunn. Damian Dunn plays for Houston very similar names. So DeMarco Dunn in those two games that Clary missed put up 32 and 20 fantasy points, um, took 19 total shots in both those games, gave um, at least seven peripheral stats in each game as well. So I really like DeMarco Dunn here on this one at $5,000. I think he is one of the best value plays on the slate, but I do think he's going to be a little bit chalky. If you're playing cash games in DFS, just lock him into your lineup. Nick Kern Jr. Um, has also seen a little bit of increased usage since um, Clary you know, has been less involved, but Nick Kern has not been very consistent at all. You know, he had the 34 fantasy point game against Northwestern, but other than that, hasn't been over 17 in the last six games. So um, definitely some upside there, maybe a little bit of a GPP type play, maybe a pivot play off of Dunn and Baldwin. Um, I just wanted to mention it because he does have a ceiling, but there's very little to bank on and very little consistency. And then Jameel Brown is worth mentioning as well. He did play a little bit of boosted minutes in the games that Clary was out. Um, didn't really wow a whole lot. You know, he had 21 fantasy points against Indiana. That was his ceiling. But, you know, definitely a guy that with Clary out, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him moving forward. 
The next game up is Florida taking on Alabama. And y'all, I thought this was a typo when I saw it, but it is not. Ken Palm has this game projected to be 93 to 84 in favor of Alabama. That is a 177 point total. I think that's the highest I've seen this season. But it makes sense, though. Like, both of these teams are super primed for scoring a lot of points. Both these teams are top 40 in the nation in tempo. They are outside of the top 50 in defensive efficiency, and they are in the top 10 in offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So you've got a lot of possessions with teams that are good at offense and not as good at defense. That's a recipe for a lot of scoring. However, here's the problem with these two teams. Both these two teams are generally so spread out with their usage and their minutes that it makes it really hard to target them and really hard to pin down just who you want in a game stack. Personally, I would rather stack up the Illinois Penn State game even if even though it has a lower total just because I know where the fantasy points are going to be coming from now on the Florida side Zion Pullen is their most consistent producer like I think he is a cash game lock if you play DFS cash games you know, he's been pretty much steadily over 33 fantasy points for the last six games, um, plays a ton of minutes, is basically a lock to see double-digit shots, and has a high assist rate as well. And so if Florida's going to be scoring 84 points, you got to feel like Pollen's going to be at least getting to five or six assists. So I definitely think there's a little bit of upside there, but he is the most consistent player on this Florida team. guy that has a little bit of inconsistency is Walter Clayton Jr. Look, he's just more shot-dependent than Zion Pollen. He doesn't put up as many peripheral stats. His usage can really oscillate game by game. And so, yes, he does have a legitimate ceiling, like he, when he had 35.75 against Georgia, but it's not as likely that he gets there because he really is dependent on his scoring of the basketball to reach value. And I would rather play a guy like Pullen, who's going to get me rebounds and assists, especially in a pace-up game that's going to feature a ton of possessions. Tyrese Samuel is worth mentioning because we have seen power forwards go off against Alabama, uh, especially since they've went to that small ball lineup where they play Ryland Griffin at the four. Um, we've seen power forwards kind of go off um, against them. And so Tyree Samuels, definitely a guy that is worth mentioning. He does have a 50 fancy point ceiling like he had against Kentucky, but he hasn't been super duper consistent. So to me, he's more of a GPP type of play that you can get to um, just because of the matchup based. Now, after that, the only other guy that I think is like a lock to see 25 plus minutes is Will Richard. And again, kind of like Tyree Samuel, he has not been super consistent, but he does have a legitimate ceiling. You know, he had 45 fancy points against Mississippi State, 37 against Georgia on 14 and 15 shots in those two games. And he hasn't taken more than 11 shots in a game since. So um, I don't really know what to make of him, but he's pretty much a lock to play 25 plus minutes. And in this game, maybe just getting somebody who's going to be on the floor a lot is worth it. Because after that, you've got got Hanlockton, Condon, and Kugel, who I just don't know what to expect from them. They all have a massive ceiling. They've all had ceiling games so far this season, and this is a great game environment for them, but there's very little consistency. I think if you're playing GPPs, maybe if you're 20 maxing, you can get a little bit of exposure to all three of those guys just you know, to get exposure to the ceiling and the game environment, but there's no real consistency, nothing really to bank on from a minutes, usage, or fantasy points perspective. Now on the Alabama side, they're at least a little easier to predict. They've scored 99 points or more in three of their last four games. That just makes them an offensive juggernaut. And it creates an environment where both of their lead guards, Mark Sears and Aaron Estrada, can reach value. So we've talked about all season long how Sears is the more productive player, but Estrada is actually about even with him in terms of usage. They're not that 
um, different. Strategist tends to get himself in more foul trouble, and Sears tends to be the more efficient scorer. But if they're going to score 99 points, there is a great chance that both Sears and Estrada are going to hit value. In the last six games, Mark Sears has hit 4x value four times out of six, which is pretty solid. And he's hit 5x value in two of those four times. Uh, Aaron Estrada has only hit 4x value twice in those six games. But once Estrada did it, it was also a game where Sears did it. So this is the type of environment where play one, play both, whatever. Y'all know me. I've been talking about it all season long. I'm a usage rate truther, and I think the Aaron Estrada is much closer to Mark Sears than the price tag indicates. So I will be playing both of them, but I'm probably going to have a little bit more Aaron Estrada compared to Mark Sears. After that, there's just a whole lot of guys that could go off, but don't really have a history of going off. What I mean by that is Grant Nelson, is really dependent on his minutes um, to get a lot of fancy points. Like when he plays a lot, he scores a lot of fancy points, which makes sense, right? You got to be on the floor to score fancy points. But his minutes have really oscillated lately, and you don't really know the rhyme or reason for it. Like he has found himself in foul trouble a few times, but he's played through foul trouble a few times. So like, I don't really know what to expect from him. But again, kind of like I said with the Florida guys, you got a guy with a massive ceiling in a great game environment. And you're, if you're playing GPPs, you'd be wise to get him in one or two. Wright, Sell, and Griffin, I do want to mention because these have been the wing shooters that Alabama has used to put up a lot of points lately. Basically, their offense has turned into Estrada and Sears creating on the ball and then kicking it to Wright, Sell, and Griffin for a wide open corner three. That's basically what they do. Um, and so... These two guys, Wright, Sell, and Griffin, in the last seven games have combined for six total 4X value games, and they did it together in two of those seven games. So um, I definitely think that you can play one of these guys. I probably wouldn't play both, but like this is not the decision to stress over playing one of these two. They're very similar profiles. Um, Wright, Sell's been a little bit better lately. That's why he's more expensive, but it's very likely that one of the two of those guys hits 4X value. Then after that, you've got the forward roulette for Alabama between Debate, Pringle, Walters, and Stevenson. You never really know who's going to go off among that crew. It's very likely that one of them is going to score 20-plus fantasy points because that does tend to happen. But good luck figuring out which, which one. Sam Walters was big in the last game um, against Texas A&M. He played 16 minutes, put up 22 fantasy points. He looked really good, too, when he was out there. Um, Nick Pringle. Also saw a minutes boost last game, played 21 minutes, which he had not done um, since the Tennessee game about a month ago. And so I um, definitely like that he saw that minutes boost, but they only let him shoot the ball one time. And it's kind of hard to score a lot of fancy points when you're only going to shoot the ball one time. Um, so I do like that Pringle's getting the minutes. He had some massive performances last season, but has been yet to recreate it this season. But I kind of like a guy that I know has a high ceiling at a very low price tag. And so if I'm playing GPPs, I'm probably going to get just a little bit of Nick Pringle to get a little bit of upside. All right, now spent a lot of time on those two games because those two games are just outstanding game environments that you're going to want to be targeting here on this slate. So after that, you've got St. John's heading to Washington, D.C. to take on Georgetown. Ken Palm has this one projected to be St. John's 81-72. to And I know Rick Pitino said that coaching this St. John's team is the most unenjoyable experience of his lifetime. Well, you know what's enjoyable? going to Georgetown and playing this Hoya team. So hopefully Rick Pitino can smile a little bit. Um, anyway, Dennis Jenkins is the only dependable option for St. John's. He's the only guy that seems to play 30-plus minutes every night, sees a 20-plus percent usage rate every night, scores pretty much between 30 and 40 fancy points almost every night. And so I think he's a solid cash game play. I wish he was a little bit cheaper, but he, he's a very solid floor type of guy. Now, we mentioned the last time St. John's was on the slate how Joel Soriano had been really splitting minutes with... Um, 
Zuby Ejiofor dating back to like the last month. But back against Seton Hall on Sunday, Soriano played 29 minutes, put up 39 fancy points. Look, if Soriano is going to be out there for 30 minutes, just lock him into your lineup because he is a guy who can put up a double-double in his sleep if he has enough time to do so. So if he's going to be playing that big minute total, really like Joel Soriano. Um, I do think there's a little bit of blowout potential in this one, but if this game does blow out, it's likely because Soriano had a big first half. After that, RJ Luis has a big-time usage rate, but you never really know how many minutes he's going to play or how many shots he's going to make. He, he tends to be wildly inconsistent. So he's a guy that has some ceiling, but probably not going to play him in terms of any consistency. Then I do want to mention also, Jordan Dingle is their blowout guy. Look, he was one of the leading scorers in all of college basketball last season at Penn, and so when he has the opportunity to fill it up, he can fill it up. Against DePaul, was only 5 for 13 from the field, but 4 for 10 from behind the arc, put up 32 fantasy points in that game. So if this game does get out of hand, Jordan Dingle would be a guy who could absolutely reach his ceiling base because pretty much in a blowout, they just say, hey, Dingle, here you go. Do what you did at Penn last year. Um, so I really do like him at $5,400 as an upside GPP type of play. Now on the Georgetown side, they're interesting because they have really figured out lately that Supreme Cook is good at basketball. And so uh, in his last four games, he has averaged about 32 fantasy points in those games with a ceiling of 45, a floor of 24. Now he's got a big time price increase, but I definitely think St. John's is a better matchup than Villanova and Creighton were. And he was able to put up 37 fantasy points against Creighton. So I really do like Supreme Cook at that price tag of $7,700. And he has shown that he will play big minutes even if they do get blown out. Now, Jaden Epps does lead the team in usage. And in terms of fantasy scoring, like, you know that the shot attempts and the usage rate is going to be there. What you need to have happen is his shots need to fall in and the teammates that he's passing to need to fall in. Like, if Georgetown scores points, Jaden Epps is going to be really successful in fantasy. And so, to me, he would be a great game stacking option where you can play a few St. John's guys, play Jaden Epps, play somebody else on Georgetown, just because he's very correlated to their team total. And the two guys that he's going to be assisting the most to are Styles and Heat. They're kind of Georgetown's designated shooters. They can have ceiling games. Um, I would likely, if I wanted to play one of them, to be pairing them with Jaden Epps because Epps will be getting the assists. Now, Wayne Bristol Jr. was recently moved into the starting lineup, and he has not looked terrible. Um, like, he hasn't really done a whole lot, but he also um, has been out there playing minutes, getting, getting some stats. So at $4,300, you want a guy that's going to start. There you go. Uh, Rowan Brumball has also looked pretty good in the last few games. Um, now some of these games have been blowouts and he definitely has got an extended run because of blowouts, but he's put up 15 fancy points or more in his last three with a ceiling of 24 against Villanova, where he looked really good going six for 10 from the field. Next up, we have a battle in the big 12 between Oklahoma state and Cincinnati. In Oklahoma State, oh, I'm sorry, forgot to mention the total. Ken Palm has this total at 139, projecting Cincinnati to win 75 to 64. Now, or Oklahoma State, I was about to mention Georgetown again. Oklahoma State has now played four games without one of their best players, Bryce Thompson. He is out for the season. And in those four games, Javon Small has seen a pretty consistent usage rate, um, seen a pretty consistent fantasy point total as well, scoring between 25 and 37 um, every single time. But I do think that this Cincinnati matchup is a little bit better than some of the ones that that he's seen in that stretch. Brandon Garrison is an interesting one because he is a big, and we have seen bigs go off against Cincinnati all season long, whether it's Deron Holmes, Dylan DeSue, um, Fusani Traore, I think, did it as well. There, there's, there's countless bigs that have gone off against Cincinnati, and so Brandon Garrison would be the guy who could continue that streak. He's coming off of a 27-minute, 35-fantasy point performance against BYU. Really do like Brandon Garrison in this one. And then Quion Williams has also been great since um, Bryce Thompson went out. So I was 
kind of off on him a few slates ago against Oklahoma. He put up 32 fantasy points, and he was like not in any of my lineups because I was looking at the two games since Bryce Williams like was out, and against Houston, he was bad. Like played 33 minutes and only scored eight fantasy points. Uh, but the previous game against Kansas State, he had 35. Well, guess what? The other two games had been closer to the 35 than to the eight. In three out of four games since Bryce Thompson has been out, he's hit 27 fantasy points or more. I think he's still a pretty solid um, value play at only $5,900. A guy who's definitely going to make some of my lineups. Um, Jamiron Keller is also an interesting guy. He's only $4,400. He's playing a lot of minutes now. He was eight for eight from the field against BYU en route to a 36 fantasy point performance. Now that was obviously his ceiling, but DraftKings didn't really price him up a whole lot more after that. And so at only $4,400, give me a guy who's playing a ton in a game environment for, for this team that's actually not that bad. Like Oklahoma State and Cincinnati, they're not teams that play like super fast tempos, but like compared to a lot of the other teams in the Big 12, like Oklahoma, Houston, um, Texas, Kansas, like they're not like these slow down type of teams. So um, I definitely do like getting to some of those Oklahoma State guys here on this one. Probably wouldn't play more than one though. On the Cincinnati side, this is a really weird team because Victor Lacken, who was like their best player coming into the season, is like out of the rotation. He has like zero confidence and they're like not playing him and it's weird. I feel bad for the kid. I hope that he's able to bounce back, but like don't play him in DFS just yet. I'd like to see him do it again before, you know, we go back to him. But what that's led to is his being out of the rotation. You're seeing more minutes for Aziz Bandego, who is a hyper-athletic, very high-ceiling center who can record a lot of blocks um, and can put up a great fancy point per minute total if he plays a lot of minutes. And so I do like Bandego in this matchup against Oklahoma State. But really, what's the biggest trend out of all this is that Dan Skillings Jr. is Cincinnati's best player. He has seen at least 11 shots in seven straight games. He has put up at least 22 fancy points in all those games with a ceiling of 41. And I just really like the fact that you're getting a team's best player at only $7,100, and they're expected to score 75 points. Um, Dan Skillings Jr., definitely a guy who will make a few of my lineups. Um, and then after that, Day-Day Thomas is an interesting guy for me. He's their point guard, and he has a very high assist rate, and he's very correlated to their actual point total like you go back and look at his game logs when they don't get to 65 day day thomas doesn't have a lot of fancy points when they get over 70 day day thomas usually has a lot of fancy points so with them projected to have 75 in this one i definitely think he's worth a look at only 5400 dollars Next up on the slate, we have Clemson heading to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech. Um, Kent Palm has this one projected to be 76 to 70 in favor of Clemson. Now, this is a rematch earlier in the season. These two teams played, and it was 93 to 90 in two overtimes. Um, probably not getting that one again. Um, but that game was 71 to 71 at the end of regulation. So, uh, you know, 142 point total. That's not a bad sign. Now, we have seen forwards of all types have good days against Georgia Tech, and two of them had really good days the first time they played. PJ Hall had 67 fantasy points against Georgia Tech the first time these two teams played. That is just outstanding. It shows you his ceiling. Will he get to that again? Likely not. But can he get to 40-45? Absolutely. Ian Shefflin also had a really good game in that one, putting up 45 fantasy points. However, the concerning part about Ian Shefflin, though, is that Clemson just recently started Jack Clark in the starting lineup. And in those four games that Clark has started, Shefflin's fantasy point totals have gone down every game, from 32 to 25 to 23 to 12. 
And he's still priced up like a guy who's going to be putting up 30 every slate. And so I'm kind of suspicious on Sheflin. I would rather pay all the way up to P.J. Hall. Jack Clark, I just mentioned him coming in to start lineup. DraftKings is like tired of everybody playing him on every slate. And now he's up at $6,000. And I got to be honest, that's a very tough play to me at $6,000 with him. You know, even with his four games as a starter, he has not put up more than six shots in a game. And he has not made more than three shots in a game. It's really tough to put up 30 fancy points if you're not taking more than six shots. Now, the guards, Gerard and Hunter, I think they both do have a little bit of upside, but I would rather target this game through P.J. Hall, in my opinion. Um, he's probably the only Clemson piece that I'm going to be getting to, um, but Chase Hunter, I do like it. The price tag is 6300 Now, on the Georgia Tech side, they're, um, they're a little bit of a mess honestly. And so what you have with them is, you know, Kelly and Ndongo are their two best players and generally have the two highest usage rates, but the fantasy outputs have been just inconsistent. And you really don't know who's going to do what on a game-to-game basis. You don't know which one of the bench players is going to play on a game-to-game basis. Um, you just don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and so Nathan George is, you know, turning their starting point guard. He's been pretty solid lately, but again, he's been kind of a dud in his last three games, you know, um, zero, 15, and five fantasy points in his last three. Um, but before that, he was great. So like, I don't, I don't know what to expect from these guys, y'all, if I'm being honest. So I think you can just avoid it altogether if you want. Kyle Sturdivant was great against Clemson the first time, um, but he really did it all scoring. Like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of peripheral stats. And then the last guy I will mention is Ibrahim Asako. is just kind of keeps playing more and more um, for Georgia Tech. Put up 10, 24, and 11 fantasy points in his last three. So obviously you, you want more closer to the 24 than the 10, but he's definitely an option here on this slate. All right, so let's go ahead and end the first segment there, and then let's go ahead and talk about the second half of these games, y'all. Next up, we have Duke traveling to Coral Gables to take on the Miami Hurricanes, and this one is a pretty interesting game as well. Ken Palm has it projected to be 79-73 to in favor of the Duke Blue Devils. Now, the big development with Duke is that Tyrese Proctor missed Saturday's game with a concussion. Um... Knowing the minimal that I know about concussions, I don't think he's going to be back. Like, generally, a concussion is at least a week recovery. So I wouldn't think that Proctor's going to play in this one. And what happened in the last game against FSU with Proctor out, which you just saw a ton of usage go to Jared McCain. He had a 31% usage rate in that game, put up 49 fantasy points. you got to like him again if Proctor is out, just because, you know, the usage is going to be there, right? Now, in that game, Jeremy Roach also had 26% usage rate was not as efficient with it as McCain was, only put up 24 fantasy points, but maybe he's a little bit of a pivot off of everybody who's going to chase the big game from McCain when Roach did have a solid usage rate as well. Cal Filipowski also had a 26% usage rate in that game against FSU, but he dealt with foul trouble. He turned the ball over a lot and only had 16 fantasy points, which was a really disappointing performance. But what it does is it dropped his salary by $100. I was hoping to catch a little bit more of a discount on Filipowski here on this slate, but I do like the fact that um, this is a matchup that he should have a lot success with. He's going to be able to pretty much shoot over Norchad Omir because he is so tall. And Omir has struggled with the bigs who have the ability to just go up and over him. In the ACC tournament last year, Cal Filipowski put up 19, 11, and 5 against Miami. So I do like the fact that he can have a little bit of success against this team. Caleb Foster will um, play 35 minutes without Tyrese Proctor being in the lineup um, in their last game. But he was kind of um, not really all that involved in the offense, but only put up 13 fantasy points. So um, definitely a guy that you can consider as a value player but the usage and the scoring just really wasn't there on Saturday. 
Now, on the Miami side, they are very interesting. Nigel Pack is currently listed as out, and Matthew Cleveland is listed as questionable. If both of these guys miss, we've seen this situation with Miami a few times this season because they have so little depth. If both of these guys miss, you got to feel like that is going to strongly benefit a lot of the other guys in the lineup. So what happened in the last game was Cleveland did play and Nigel Pack did not, and you saw Keyshawn George, Benley Joseph, Wuga Poplar, Matthew Cleveland, and Norchad Omir as the starting five. If Cleveland does, in fact, miss, then you're probably going to see boosted minutes from either Christian Watson um, or Paul Jobay. Um, Jobay actually played 20 minutes against Boston College and put up 11 fantasy points. Um, Keyshawn George was really struggling in that game, and Jobay kind of came in to relieve him. Um, so maybe they go back to Jobay again if Cleveland does, in fact, miss. But if it's just Pack that misses, I really like Bensley Joseph. He has been really good this year in games where um, Nigel Pack was out. Nigel Pack missed the North Florida game in December, and in that game, Bensley Joseph put up 41 fantasy points. Um, Nigel Pack missed the game against Boston College. Bensley Joseph put up 34 fantasy points. So there's a lot to like about Bensley Joseph if, now that we know that Nigel Pack is out, and he is one of my favorite mid-range plays on the slate. I always like Noah Chet Omir anytime he's on the slate just because he's a walking double-double, and um, he's really expanded his offensive game. He tends to see more offensive usage when one of the other Miami starting five guys is out, and so I really do think he's a pretty solid option. I probably wouldn't play Filipowski and Omir against each other just because of the risk of one of them getting in foul trouble, but both of them are definitely in play here, in my opinion, on this Wednesday night slate. Now, heading to the next game, we've got Providence taking on Xavier. Um, this one is another rematch of a game that happened earlier in the season. Xavier won 85-65 to in that original meeting. Now, Providence has changed quite a bit since then, though. You know, they had the Bryce Hopkins injury early in January, and it seems like they finally found their footing. Um, Devin Carter um, has just been really, really good lately. In that first game against Xavier, he put up 34 fantasy points in 34 minutes, um, and they only scored 65 points. So you got to feel like he has a much higher ceiling than that. Josh Aduro, another guy who's been great for Providence this season. In that game against Xavier, 37 fantasy points in 32 minutes. Look, these two studs for Providence are just going to eat up so much of the usage that if Providence is going to get to like 70, 75, 80 points, you've got to feel like it's going to be because of Carter and Aduro, and you can definitely play both of them together. In their last nine games, they've hit 4x value together in four of those games, with one of them getting there in seven total games. So you definitely got to like the upside of both these guys. They're two guys that you can pair together and have a legitimate upside of 100 fantasy points together. So I do like Carter and Aduru as a combo, knowing that Xavier is not exactly the best defensive team. Now, Xavier has also had trouble with spot-up shooters this year, and um, if they're going to have that again this game, it's going to be with ticket gains. However, he has not been great from behind the three-point arc lately. He is the guy who is going to take the most threes for this team. Um, I just wish he was a little bit cheaper on DraftKings coming in. Another guy that we got to talk about is Rich Barron. Um, he's been recently moved into the starting lineup for Providence. Only put up a ceiling of 14 fantasy points in his most recent three starts. But, I mean, he's only $3,800. He gets dual eligibility. He's going to play a, a decent amount of minutes against a team that's not great defensively. He's got to be in consideration at that salary. On the Xavier side. Trey Green was kind of the out-of-nowhere hero the first game against Providence. Um, he came into that game and put up 33 fantasy points on 23-6. and six. So definitely, um, I don't know, I kind of think that was an aberration. I'm probably not going back to Trey Green, but just know he was the, the guy for them in that first meeting. We also know what we're going to get with Xavier, right? Like they've got their big three guards, Olivari, McKnight, and Claude, that neither of them really had a monster game against Providence the first time. Um, but they're all three going to see about 20% usage. They're all three probably going to get double-digit shots. Um, 
they're just all three a little too expensive in my opinion though. Um, so they're probably a fade for me on this slate. Um, I will kind of continue to watch and see what happens with them if one of them kind of develops into being the better player over the other. Now also, it seems like Sean Miller is really frustrated with his big men. Usman and Amitra are not playing a whole lot of minutes and Sasa Siani played a lot last game. Um, he ended up playing 23 minutes against Seton Hall and putting up 22 fantasy points. So maybe he might be a guy you could go back to. I'm certainly not playing Usman and Amisha with the inconsistent minute totals that they are getting in their recent games. Next up, we have Georgia heading to Nashville to Memorial Gymnasium to take on Vanderbilt. And this one is projected to be Georgia 74 to 69, according to Ken Palm, one of the lower totals on the slate. Look, when it comes to Georgia, good luck. Like, for real, for real, good luck if you want to pick out which Georgia guy is going to go off. It's very likely that one of them is going to go off, but I have no idea which one of them it is going to be. Against Florida, it was Noah Thomason who um, scored 26 points, put up 34 fantasy points on 10 for 18 shooting. Look, he was a very high usage player at, I believe it was Towson that it was his former school, and so he does have a legitimate ceiling, and you know, maybe he could have another ceiling game twice in a row. I don't know. But what we do know is that Vanderbilt is a very poor three-point defense. And so to me, that benefits the three-point shooters on this Georgia squad, which would be Noah Thomason first, and then Jabri Abdurrahim, as well as Blue Kane. So if I'm going to play any of the Georgia guys, it would be those three guards, or just play Russell Chewa and hope that Vanderbilt can't make a shot at all, and he gets a ton of boards. On the Vanderbilt side, if they are going to want to be competitive in this game, it's probably going to be one of the two guards that gets in there, Ezra Magnon or Tyron Lawrence. They both have very high usage rates. One of them tends to get there every game where Vanderbilt's competitive, but it seems to be exactly one of them. They very rarely have games where both of them hit value. That's why they're both priced about the same and you know, kind of in the mid-range because they both have a decent ceiling but a very low floor. So um, if you think that this game ends up shooting out, give them a shot. Then Allen Lubin's also interesting because Georgia is also not a great rebounding team. Um, and so he does have a little bit of upside. You know, he did put up 33 fantasy points against Texas A&M. Um, and that is a good rebounding team. So um, I definitely do think Ben Allen Lubin has a little bit of upside. Another guy that I want to highlight though is Isaiah West. He's been moved into the starting lineup in the last two games. And he played 21 and 18 minutes and put up nine and 11 fantasy points. That's not great, but he's 3,500. And so if he puts up 12 fantasy points at 3,500, I'm going to be okay with that because he's going to allow me to get to a ton of other um, higher priced options with the, less, the rest of my lineup. So I do think that he is in play for me. Probably not going to be like a super heavy play for me, but definitely a guy that I'm going to have in a lineup or two, just because he will allow me to get to a lot of other guys. Next up, we have Nebraska heading to Bloomington to take on um, Indiana. And this one is very interesting because I think this game is going to be much different than the first time that these two teams played. The first time that these two teams played, it was in Nebraska in Pinnacle Bank Arena. And Nebraska won that game 86-70. They are simply a different team away from home. Um, that all their best wins this season have been at home. And so I don't think you're going to get that same performance out of them that you got in that one. And Ken Palm seems to agree. They have this one 75 to 73 in favor of Nebraska, a very tight spread, much tighter than that 16 point differential the first time these two teams played. Now, why was that a 16-point differential? Well, Keze Tomonaga went nuclear in that game, scoring 28 or 32 fantasy points, 28 real points on 9 for 15 shooting. So um, he does have the capability of doing that, but he generally does it 
in home games. Like I said, Nebraska is a different team away from home. Bryce Williams also had a great peripheral stats game in that game against Indiana, um, putting up 32 fancy points on only 10 shots necessary. That's what I like about playing Bryce Williams is he's at a very reasonable price tag and he doesn't need a whole lot of shots to hit value because he does so much in the rebounding and assisting that he has a legitimate ceiling and floor at a not very expensive price. So I think Bryce Williams is one of my favorite mid-range plays on the slate tomorrow. Now, on the Indiana side, you had a Kellel Ware ceiling game in that first game against Nebraska. And look, he can do that. He scored 50 fantasy points multiple times this season. He had 43 in that game against Nebraska on 9 for 12. Shooting did have a double-double. Um, I got to say, I kind of like the chances of him doing that again. His usage rate has tended to be higher when Xavier Johnson is out of the lineup, and it does look like Xavier Johnson is going to be out of the lineup. And I do think that he will be able to stay out of foul trouble, which he was able to do last time they played Nebraska because Nebraska did not really play through rink mast much at all. Now, also, I got to talk about Malik Renew. So Malik Renew is an interesting, interesting profile. If you're a usage rate truther, play Malik Renew. Simple as that. He's only $6,100 now. We've been used to him being in the high sevens and low eights pretty much most of the season. And the usage has been there. He just hasn't been able to stay out of foul trouble. He has had at least a 27% usage rate in six straight games that he finished. So ignoring the Iowa game where he left early, in six straight games, he's had a 27% usage rate. That's really good. He just has to stay on the floor and turn that usage rate into more fantasy points. So if you are somebody who is a believer in usage rate, is a believer in the law of averages, is a believer in regression, then Malik Renew is your guy for this slate. If you are somebody who watches games and watches how Indiana plays and watches how Malik Renew plays, then Malik Renew is probably not for you, if I'm being honest, because he has not looked good. However, the usage has been there. So it all depends on where you fall on the side of analytics, in my opinion. Now, also, you know, we've been trying to make other guys work with Xavier Johnson being out like Anthony Leal and Gabe Cups. But at the end of the day, it's Trey Galloway who sees more minutes and more usage because of Anthony um, or Xavier Johnson's injury. And I'm definitely willing to play, go back to Trey Galloway here on this one. He has been over 25 fancy points or over 24 fancy points, excuse me, in five straight games. He's gotten double digit shots in three of them, tends to put up a decent amount of assists as well. If you think Indiana keeps this game close, which I do, it's probably going to be because of Trey Galloway contributing in some form or fashion. Next up, we have Kentucky taking on LSU, which is an interesting, interesting game. Ken Pop has this one projected to be 84 to 80 in favor of the Wildcats. But here's the thing. We've talked about this in the Florida-Alabama game. Kentucky's much in the same vein where they play these super high-tempo games, but they're really hard to target because they play a big rotation of guards, and none of them really seem to get there because they're all such high salaries, and you never know who's going to go off. Now, one thing I will say about Kentucky is they started playing some defense in their last two games, and it's because of Ugana Agneso and Adu Thiero. Agneso played 36 minutes against Auburn, put up 26 fancy points, and then Adu Thiero in that game, played 33 minutes and put up 24 fantasy points. They're the two guys that I'm interested in the most because right now they seem to have garnered the favor of John Calipari. And if they're going to be playing a ton of minutes, yes, they might be defensive primary players, but LSU likes to get up and down as well. There's going to be plenty of possessions, plenty of opportunities for them to get fantasy points if they're going to be out there on the floor. And so those would be the two guys that I actually have the most interest in. If you're playing GPPs, you can take your shots at Shepard, Reeves, and Dillingham because they are high usage guards, but you never really know how many minutes they're going to play. You never know if the shot's going to be falling. Um, so you can take your shots at them if you want, but I think the dependable plays are on Yeso and Thiero. Now on the LSU side, I don't think this is like 
as easy of a target situation as it would have been like two weeks ago. Um, you know, Kentucky's like really started playing some defense lately. So I don't necessarily think that they're going to get to that 80-point total. Now, granted, both these teams do play at a fast tempo, so there's going to be plenty of opportunities to get that 80-point total. But they're going to have to put the ball in the bucket. Now, on the LSU side, Jalen Wright, or Jordan Wright, excuse me, has been pretty good for them all season long. Um, you know, he's kind of a bigger guard, and he can take a lot of shots. Um, he generally has a pretty high usage rate, pretty high shot rate. Um, I could see him, given these Kentucky guards issues, and only $7,000, it doesn't take a whole lot to find out. Jalen Cook is their starting point guard, and he's listed as questionable for this game. You got to feel like if Cook is out, that definitely is going to increase, you know, rights usage. If Cook is in, then I feel like, you know, you can stack Cook with other guys. Um, you know, Trey Hannibal would be the guy that would benefit if Cook was out, though. You know, in that game against Tennessee where Cook missed earlier this month, um, Hannibal played 31 minutes, put up 31 fantasy points. So really solid play if Cook is out. And then we got to talk about my guy, Will Baker. So we played him all season long just because he has a massive ceiling. He has these games where he looks like a future NBA player, looks like a really skilled, really talented big man. And then he has these games where he just can't get out of his own way. You never really know what it's going to be, but because of his ceiling and because Kentucky Kentucky isn't exactly the best historically at defending big men. I definitely could see myself playing a little bit of Will Baker here on this slate. Now, the second last game of the night is the Egg Bowl basketball edition. Um, we've got Mississippi heading to Mississippi State. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 75 to 68 in favor of Mississippi State. The first game was kind of an out of nowhere shootout. It ended 86 to 82 in favor of Ole Miss. Both these teams don't play very fast. Both these teams play pretty good defense. So it was kind of shocking to see that result, and I don't think we're going to get that again. Now, in that first game, Jalen Murray was the hero for Ole Miss. He did have 49.5 fantasy points in that game 21 points and 11 assists on 7 for 18 shooting and look Jalen Murray is capable of having these ceiling games right so maybe there's a little bit maybe there's a little bit of a thing there right where Mississippi State does struggle against smaller guards I could definitely see that happening again Alan Flanagan is a guy that we've been monitoring all season long because he was kind of a role player at Auburn his previous two years there and now that he's at Ole Miss he's kind of one of their best players and it's kind of weird because I didn't know he was that guy um, and against Mississippi State he wasn't that guy he only played 19 minutes he was really ineffective scored 16.75 fantasy points so I don't know. I would rather play Matthew Morrell or Jalen Murray than Flanagan. Morrell has really been their guy lately. He's been their usage later in the last five games, um, you know, scoring between 24 and 38 fantasy points in all five of those games. So Morrell is going to get double-digit shots. He's going to get plenty of opportunities to put up fantasy points. Now, the only downside is that his worst performance in those last five games was against Mississippi State, where he had 23.75. So um, if I'm going to play anybody from this Mississippi game, it'd probably be Morrell or Murray. But, like, you can avoid this altogether. On the Mississippi State side, they really gave issues to Tulu Smith. Um, like, he did not have one of his best games. In fact, it was his worst game out of the last five. Only 17 fantasy points. And Tulu Smith is their usage leader. He is their guy who they'll play up at the post. But for whatever reason, he was not very effective against Ole Miss. Cameron Matthews was the guy who was pretty effective, though. He ended with 38 fantasy points in that game. And he has just been outstanding since DJ Jeffries has been out for injury. I feel like I would rather play Cameron Matthews than Tulu Smith. Josh Hubbard is also a guy that we've talked about. He is a chucker who gets a ton of shots off. And he got off 15 against Ole Miss and put up 40 fancy points in that game. So maybe there's something there worth going back to. But in all honesty, y'all, this is not a high total. These are not two teams that are very easy to target. I think you can avoid this game entirely. 
Now, the last game of the night is DePaul heading to Marquette. Um, this one is the biggest blowout of the night, and I would be shocked if this game was played within a 20-point spread. I just would. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 87-61 to 61 in favor of Marquette. In their first meeting, DePaul kept it a little bit closer than expected. It was only 86-73 to 73 in favor of Marquette, so still a double-digit win. You know, still wasn't ever in doubt. For DePaul, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that Chico Carter is back in the lineup after missing, I believe it was five games. Um, you know, he played 26 minutes against Providence, only put up 10 fantasy points. Um, the bad news is, is like now he is bringing in or he is stealing usage from other guys, stealing minutes from other guys that maybe were targetable before, but now that Chico Carter's back in the lineup, they're just not really guys that you can get too excited about. So um, if I'm being honest, I might just X out DePaul entirely on this slate. On the Marquette side, in that first game, Tyra Kolick, Osoe Godaro, and David Joplin all hit 4X. And that was really, you know, being subbed out with like six minutes to go, I believe it was. Um, and so really they were able to get to value pretty quickly against DePaul. I think that could easily be the case again. Like I wouldn't have a problem with playing one of those guys. I would probably rather play somebody in the same price range as them who is not going to be looking at a 25-point spread. Um, but I feel like a lot of other people playing this slate are going to feel the same way. So you might get a really under-owned Tyra Kolek, Ose Gadara, or David Joplin. Now, if there were to be a blowout, it does seem like there are some guys that stand to benefit. And you can look at their recent few games to pick up on that. Like, you know, UConn was a blowout. The DePaul game was not exactly all that close. Um, the Georgetown game was definitely not that close. And so Ben Gold does seem like one guy who would benefit from a blowout as does Chase Ross, who played a lot of minutes in that recent game against UConn, played 18 minutes, put up 12 fantasy points, also played 25 minutes against St. John's in a double-digit victory. So um, he's a guy that you could look at if it's a blowout. And then also Trey Norman, way down here at $3,000 minimum. He could be a guy who you could look at in a blowout as well, played double-digit minutes only against UConn and Georgetown, and those were games that were about 30-point margins. So um now, granted, he didn't put up more than seven fantasy points in either of those two games, but hey, these $3,000, if this game is a blowout and it's over at halftime and he plays 25 minutes, like you could definitely get a legitimate fantasy total out of all right, so that does it for this Wednesday night slate. Thank you guys for sticking with me this long. I know we went much longer this slate than we usually do, but hey, 12 games, we had a lot to break down. And so if you do want more information from me, there's a few places you can get it. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Join the Fancy Corner Discord. Link is in the description in the audio feed as well as on the YouTube video. Basically, the Fancy Corner Discord is a lot of smart people who play a lot of DFS for a lot of different sports. We're constantly bouncing plays off each other, talking ideas, talking strategy, and then sweating it out together. It's a blast to be a part of the college basketball chat in there has really been popping we had a lot of people had a lot of success recently but we also have nba golf mlb all the sports are covered in the fantasy corner and then lastly if you want to know who actually makes my lineup out of all this information that i got out um head on over to my patreon patreon.com slash mike's money picks i write an article for every slate where i profile my court plays as well as kind of my lineup strategy and attack strategy for the slate i can't sit here and guarantee that you're just gonna be able to plug them in and instantly win gpps it's not that easy but i do think I can give you guys some sound advice, sound strategy, and a lot of information that a lot of people aren't doing for college basketball DFS that you can use to build your own process and get better at it. All right, so that does it for this video, guys. If you like what you saw, please make sure you hit the like button on YouTube and rate and review the audio. I cannot stress enough how much that helps me out, and I really do appreciate it. You guys are the best. Um, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button while you're at it. That way you can be with us for the rest of college basketball season. All right, so I hope to be back for tomorrow night, the Thursday night slate. Um, as I've said midweek, though, 
you know, midweek's kind of tough for me right now because my daughter, you know, she's five months old, love her to death, but she doesn't sleep much at night. Like I'm finishing recording this one at about 1 a.m. because it's been a rough night with her sleeping and I got started and I didn't want to um, lose out on what I'd already started. So I'm um, hoping to be back for the Thursday night slate, but if not, hopefully you guys understand, but I will be in the Fancy Corner Discord talking it up all day for every slate. So um, if there's ever a slate where I don't have a video for and, and you want some help from me, Fancy Corner Discord is the place to go. All right, y'all. So let's go ahead and end it there. Best of luck to you on this Wednesday night slate. I'm excited for it. I'm really looking forward to building some lines for this slate. Best of luck to you guys. Thank you guys for watching and listening, and I will see you next time.